Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Awesome, awesome. Hey, everybody. How are we doing today? Good, good. My name is Jean Carlos. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, it is a joy to be with you today. Um, I believe that no matter what your sexual orientation is, no matter what your gender expression is, God has a word for you today. Amen? Amen, amen. Uh, so uh, uh, today we are continuing a series called The Deconstructionist Journey. We're looking at what it means to deconstruct beliefs that no longer serve us, beliefs that no longer function, beliefs that no longer move us forward, uh, and what it means to reconstruct systems of liberation, beliefs that bring us life, uh, and not only life to us, but to our world as well. Amen? Um, I'm reading a book right now uh, about deconstruction. It's very good. It's a short theological treatise. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. <laughs> Have you read this book? Have you read this book? In it, theologian and author, Marie Kondo, um, she speaks to the fact that there are things that no longer serve us, no longer function, no longer spark joy that we need to discard, that we need to let go so that we can live into the life that we were supposed to. Amen? Amen. So today we're looking at, we're looking at pride. We're looking at what it means to be who you really are, who God made you to be. Um, happy pride, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, many, so many things to celebrate today. And we're going to look. We're going to look at scripture. Uh, but also I, I want to share part of my story about what it looks like for me to deconstruct things that were no longer sparking joy, no longer serving me, and what it looked like to build things that were good and brought authentic and real joy. Amen? Amen. We've all heard that, the, you know, that famous quote that, that is in the scriptures, that the truth will set us free. But I think a lot of people don't recognize that if it's not setting you free, then it's probably also not true. Amen? Amen. So um, I just want to start with part of my story. Um, I became a Christian at a vacation Bible school. Anybody? Vacation Bible school? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and I, it was around like the age of nine. I accepted Jesus um, as my Lord and my Savior. And I didn't really understand what that meant at nine, but I did say yes. But, you know, like, when do we ever know what saying yes to Jesus means, you know? We say yes, and then we find out the expansiveness of the creativity, the vision, the liberation of God. Amen? So uh, middle school then was an opportunity for me to begin following Jesus. Um, and and I, I began to read my Bible. I began to go to youth group. I began to uh, pray. Um, I was not a very cool middle school student. Um, <laughs> But on the back of a school bus, I would worship. Uh, and I would, I, would, I would prepare myself with a relationship with God before I ever made it to any class in seventh grade. Um, and, and, and then in high school, I began to really take my faith to the next level. I began to do ministry. I began to, like, lead and preach. And, like, I, uh, when I was a freshman, I, I joined a Bible study. By the end of that year, there were four people in the Bible study. And I became the de facto leader. <laughs> like the seniors graduated, and I guess they were like, oh, Jean, you do it, because like, there were three other people. Um, and in one year, I saw that group grow from four people to 60 people. 
in my high school. And by the time that I had graduated high school, my, my team and I grew that ministry to events in our high school auditorium. We have up to 200 people attending, right? And we felt God was calling us to start groups in other schools, other student-led campus ministries where God could show up in the lives of students and, and their journeys. And so we started, by the time that I was done with that experience of my life, we had started groups in over 50 different high schools. Now, I, I'm telling you this, um, actually not as like a humble brag, um, I'm, I'm telling you this because there were two things during that season where all that cool stuff was happening, two things that I realized in my life. The first is that God was moving. God was moving in unexpected people, unexpected ways, unexpected places, high schools. And the second thing I realized is that I was gay. <laughs> uh, I, like, I like saying gay that way, something, something about that. Um, so um, I realized I was gay. But I remember in that season, because of the religious background that I came from, that wasn't, that wasn't good news. That was something to be ashamed of. That was something to hide from, run from, something to reject, something, um, something that was not, uh, no one was proud of in that context. And so I remember the first time I told my best friend who served in the ministry with me, I remember the first time I told him that I was gay. I was not giving him a statement, I was giving him a confession. I was letting him know how ashamed I was of who I was and hoping that God would somehow, in spite of that, love me. And uh, it was in that season that I committed myself that following Jesus meant not being gay. And can I just tell you that uh, <laughs> trying to not be gay is really, really hard. Um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. I realized in that season that I was using ministry as a way of not being gay. Because if I was doing 20 hours of school and 40 hours of ministry every week, then maybe I wouldn't like feel gay anymore. Uh, but you do a lot of work and you do a lot of ministry, but you still are who you are. In my journey of following Jesus, uh, by the Spirit of God, there are times that I've become more loving, more gracious, more patient, more joyful, but I've never become more straight. There are, <laughs> amen. You need to understand that as I follow Jesus, there are times that I became less selfish. There are times that I became less greedy, but there, are, there is never a moment I became less gay. And so in that season, I got really busy doing ministry. I got really busy trying to not be gay. And I remember, I mean, essentially I had something happen to me. Uh, the best thing happened to me. Um, my life fell apart. <laughs> Um, and sometimes, sometimes you're going to realize that your life needs to fall apart uh, because the thing that you thought was your life was actually hurting you. The thing that you thought was actually your life was actually suffocating the dreams of God in you, and so it needed to fall apart so God could build something new. Amen? Amen? And so in that season, um, I got really depressed. I got really discouraged. Uh, I was doing ministry. I got burnt out. There were people that I was doing ministry with, Christian leaders, that were anything but like Jesus. And they, they, they did a lot of things that really disillusioned me to being a Christian and, and to following God and to doing ministry. And so I was so depressed, actually, I dropped out of school. And then I recovered a little bit, went back to school the next semester, and within two weeks dropped out again. And so in this year of my life, everything just kind of fell apart. 
But there's something that happens when things fall apart that allow you to be honest. I wasn't leading anymore. I wasn't preaching. No one was giving me a microphone. <laughs> and therefore, I could just like be real. And I was a part of a church uh, that met at a bar in St. Paul. And they were more progressive and accepting than even I was. And I would, you know, I tell my friend, uh, you know, I think I'm 50% gay, 50% straight. I, I identified as bisexual at that time. Uh, and to be clear, bisexuality is real. I was just not bisexual. So there's a nuance there. It's worth noting. Um, so I was like, I think I'm 50% gay, 50% straight. And the response to my community was, we accept you. Three, four, five months later, I'd be like, you know what? You know, I think I'm 70% gay. <laughs> and 30% straight. And my community was like, we accept you. Two months later, I'm like, you know, I think I'm 90% gay. And 10% straight. And my community is like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I, yeah, that's, we accept you. Um, and, and I was like liberated because I wasn't doing ministry. I wasn't getting on a stage. I wasn't going to lose my job for coming out. I could just be honest. One of the most beautiful parts of your deconstruction journey is when you can just be honest. But that was the first time I had to realize that I wasn't going to find a, a cute girl, you know? <laughs> I wasn't going to find a Christian girl that was going to, I was gonna get married with, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. And, uh, and that, that means I had to reckon with that question in a way that I never had to before. So I remember having three choices before me. And the thing with these choices is that they felt like they were life and death, heaven and hell. The, everything, the rest of my life depended on these choices, but also the rest of my eternity somehow depended on these choices. Option number one, I could follow Jesus and not be gay. But that was killing me. And I was also not really less gay. I was just like holding it in more, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, in that season, I'll be honest with you, it was killing my love, my love for God. Like every time you see a cute guy, I felt this like shame and then an instant kind of bitterness. God, you made me this way, and then you're mad that I am this way? It made me love others less. Like, you know how, you know how like, if you're, you know, if you think being gay is a sin, and you see happy queer people, you, like, are a little bit angry. <laughs> you're like, why do they get to be free, and I don't get to be free? Why do they get to have peace? I don't get to have peace. Why do they get to have joy? I don't. So I was loving people less. And, of course, I was loving myself less, right? Because... I, I couldn't accept who God had made me to be. And option two, option two was uh, I could not follow Jesus and I could and be gay. And the nice thing about that is that I could kind of like not have those restrictions that were killing me. But I, I love Jesus. Um, like Jesus is not an idea for me. Um, Jesus is not a concept or a party or an association Jesus was sitting with me on the back of that school bus. Jesus was with me in high school when I found out who I was. Jesus was with me when all fell apart in college. Jesus was my close friend. And so to leave Jesus behind would also be leaving part of who I was too. And so option three was the scariest of the options. Options th option three was I could follow Jesus and be gay. Really religious people 
who were really smart told me that wasn't possible. Really religious people who had the power and the authority and the titles told me that simply was impossible. Being a gay Christian was an oxymoron to them. And so I remember one night just like thinking about these three options. What am I going to do? Feeling the weight of heaven and hell. Feeling the weight of life and death. Feeling the weight of all what's going to happen. And I remember my mom coming into the room. It was, uh, she was going to wish me good night. And I remember just being honest with my mom and telling her, Mom, I, I'm gay. I'm just gay. I'm not going to find a girl. I'm just gay. And I didn't tell her that just simply as a confession, but I told her that with fear, with anxiety. Like, what does this mean now? And I remember my mom just embracing me, just loving me, just accepting me exactly as I was. No conditions, no asterisks, no little buts. Here, I love you, but not, uh, no, no, no. Just love, real love, unadulterated love. And in that moment, I gained a conviction. And that conviction is, I cannot believe in a God who is less loving than my mom. I cannot believe in a God who is less generous, less gracious, less patient, less accepting than my human mother. Amen? And, and, so, and, and so I believe that that was real love. What my mom showed me was real love, but it was only a glimpse of the love that my heavenly mother has always had for me has always had for me. So I experienced that. I experienced that love. And that love starts to shape me. That love starts to shape my decision-making. That love starts to shape my theology. Um, but a month, two to three weeks after that, um, I received some really bad news. Um, my doctor informed me that I had cancer. And... Uh, cancer is a dirty word in my family. My older brother, when he was 10 and I was 9, passed away due to a brain tumor, due to cancer. So in my family of four, we had already lost one to cancer, and here I am as a 22-year-old finding out that I have a rare form of cancer, a soft tissue sarcoma, right around here. I still have a, you know. Um, which then led to a very important call with my pastor at the time. And it was a very quick conversation. The question was, is God giving me cancer because I'm gay? Is God punishing me because I came out of the closet? I remember in that season. I remember in that season. Um, I would have to go under, you know, anesthesia. And I remember there was a part of me that wondered, before I go under, before I go into surgery, should I ask God for forgiveness for being gay, repent of being gay, so that if I die in that surgery, at least I'll go to heaven. At least I won't go to hell. Is that what God is like? Is that what following Jesus is about? And while I'm proud to say I didn't do that, I remember having that conversation with my pastor, and he informed me not only that, no, John, God is not giving you cancer because you came out of the closet. God doesn't give anybody cancer. But furthermore, he gave me these words that I hope will be words for your your journey as well. He said, you've believed 
for years and years of your life that you were sin, that you were shame, that who you were fundamentally was impure and unclean, and it will take some time for you to heal. It will take some time for your body to realize that there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, yes, yes. Um, so, then I began to come out in more spaces. Um, I worked at Comcast at a call center. Yay. And I, uh, I would have people that cared about me. And, you know, the weekends would come. And then I'd come back to work on Monday, and they would say, how was your weekend? And I would say, it was great. I went on a date. And they would say, great, what was her name? What was she like? And at that time, I didn't have the courage to correct them. And I was living in that way a lot. Um, I was living in not truth. Um, and, and I realized that the life that I wanted meant that I wanted to come out to the people that mattered to me. Um, and so one by one, I would take my coworkers aside and I would tell them the truth of who I was. And I remember telling one coworker this. And I remember telling her, I'm gay. And I remember her smiling and saying, you don't know this, but my son is gay. And just as I accepted him, I accept you. Is that what God is like? Is that what following Jesus is about? Um, a couple days later, I tell another coworker of mine, I tell her I'm gay. And she, one of those, like, you just got a car screams, like, one of those Oprah, you just won $100,000, like, one of those just girl, like, screams of joy. She was overjoyed that I got to be myself. Is that what God is like? <laughs> is God overjoyed when you get to be the real you, the true you, the child of God, you? Yeah, what is God like? Um, during that season, I, I told another friend, um, but he didn't, he didn't quite understand. He didn't quite under, know what to do with it. And he was off at school, Bible school, and um, uh, he, he texts me and says that he's going to be in town. And when he, normally, this is, my, this is one of my closest friends. Like, we had done middle school, high school, college. We had, I've known this person closely for over a decade. And uh, he, he asked me to go to get brunch, to, to get something to eat. And I say, of course. And so we go to Denny's in Maplewood. And before the pancakes could arrive, he opens up his Bible, reads the passage of scripture, and lets me know that if I don't repent of being gay, then I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that what God is like? Is that what following Jesus is about? And so, you know, at that time, I had done enough work, right? I had done enough work to be able to say, oh, my friend, um, you know, th these two passages in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy that list homosexuality as a sin and then have a bunch of other really bad things and then say these people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, what you don't understand is that for all of church history except 1946 onward, 
that word was never by no conservative, by any liberal translated to mean homosexual. That was a mistranslation, a new translation. That was, that was human beings deciding who to include and who to exclude. And that did not dissuade, that, that did not persuade him. Um, and then he pulls up Romans 1. Romans 1! Um, and I want you to know a scripture is coming. I, I, addressing the six passages in the scripture that people use against homosexuality or against queer people can only get us to zero. I just want to be clear. Like, we can go from God hates gay people, queer people, to maybe God doesn't hate gay people, queer people, and that is not real, true liberation. So I will address some of these things. I really highly recommend God and the Gay Christian, the Reformation Project. There's many books on this issue that you can dive in so you know that you don't have to sacrifice or give up the Bible to conservatives who think they have a monopoly on God, and they don't. But nonetheless, it's worth addressing. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to paraphrase it. In Romans chapter 1, for two verses, Paul says that there were men doing unnatural things with men and women doing unnatural things with women and that this was shameful. Now that feels and sounds like a slam dunk for conservatives. That feels and sounds like end of story, success, uh, you know, like that's what it feels like. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. I'm here to tell you there's good news. And if this good news isn't good news for all people, then it's not good news at all. But what you don't realize and what they don't tell you is that Paul also calls something else shameful. That exact same Greek word, he calls something else shameful. Paul also calls something else unnatural, against nature. I wonder what sin this could be. Paul dedicates two verses in, in Romans 1. But he dedicates about 16 verses to some other sin that I'm, I'm going to let you know about. That he uses the same word, unnatural, against nature, and shameful. Do you know what that word is? Do you know what that sin is? It's a sin of haircuts. Now, you don't know this because they don't talk about it very often. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes it clear. Men should have short hair. Long hair is shameful. Women should have long hair. Short hair, female short hair is shameful. That's the same word there. What's interesting is he doesn't just say shameful. He says unnatural. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 16, that somehow haircuts can be the same Greek word, not natural. Okay, here's the issue. When's the last time you saw Christians protest a great eclipse? <laughs> this isn't the Old Testament, y'all. This is the New Testament. This is the same author saying, like, specific haircuts are unnatural and shameful. So whatever your theology is about haircuts, it should also be your theology on homosexuality because it's the same biblical evidence. It's the same. And here's the crazy part. When's the last time Christians didn't go to a movie because the guy had too long hair? I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine white Jesus. Not the historical Jesus. No, no, no. White Jesus. Does he have long hair? Yes, he does. 
<laughs> yes, he does. When's the last time conservatives rejected a movie because Jesus had long hair? According to Paul. You should just read it. Just read it. It's just obvious. First Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus was unnatural and shameful for having long hair. Guess what? Guess who else had long hair in the Bible? A guy named Samson. And if he were to cut his hair, he would be disobedient and unfaithful. It was part of his covenant relationship with God to have long hair. And the whole story goes south when someone cuts his hair. So here's what I need you to understand. Whatever verses are used as weapons against you about homosexuality, use (laughs) in the same way about haircuts. Because we all, here's what I learned, what set me free in in that understanding. There is a reason why Paul says the things he says. It's hard. Like, I, how many, I'll do a show of hands. How many of you think um, God doesn't really care about clothing? You can dress how you want. God accepts you and loves you no matter what. And that is mostly true. But what if I told you that I believe that there, is a, there are some specific clothing items that are sinful and shameful? Like, really, really bad. Like, go against everything God's heart is, right? Well, I could explain to you here, and you would get it but it would be really weird to understand this 2,000 years from now. Like, I think nationalism is sin, amen? I think xenophobia is sin, amen? I think wearing a red hat that says make America great again is sin. I think, I think, I think uh, that kind of nationalism, I, we are better than other people, and it doesn't matter the people we hurt or abuse because our tribe is the tribe. I think that's sin. But imagine I wrote down that sin. 2,000 years from now, they would think wearing red is a sin, they would think wearing a red hat with words is a sin. They would think, like, they would not understand the translation. Why is John against wearing a hat that says, improve the quality of North and South America? <laughs> Why is John against that? You need to understand that loving people exists in a context, in a culture, in a community. Short hair and long hair meant something else then. And there might be some real spiritual truth that we can get from that passage, and we don't have time to look at it. And there actually probably is in Romans 1 some abusive and terrible things that happen to be same-sex related but have nothing to do with any concept of homosexuality or gay or track that you and I have. Amen? But what you need to understand is that we will not give people a monopoly on God. That day, I I didn't just lose an argument to that person. That day, I lost a friend. And I didn't lose a friend to simply homophobia. I lost a friend to religion. So we've looked at what it looks like to deconstruct a passage that isn't serving us. I I want to go deeper. Is it okay if we go deeper? I want to show you a passage that shows you not simply that God is not a homophobe, but that God... My God takes pride in you. Amen? So we're looking at Acts chapter 10. We're looking at Acts chapter 10. And Peter followed Jesus, was with Jesus, saw the resurrection. Peter, the head of the church, his understanding of Scripture said that there was an entire group of people that were excluded from God's promise, God's salvation, God's plan, to the point that he wouldn't even eat with Gentiles. He wouldn't want to associate because Gentiles, unless you're Jewish, that's you, Gentiles were unclean. Gentiles were impure. And what we discover is that Peter was wrong. Let that heal you a little bit. 
the church has been wrong. Church leaders have been wrong. We have biblical evidence of the leader of the church being wrong. And the thing is, is that someone somewhere always thought someone else was out. Someone somewhere always thought that someone else was not included. But Jesus interrupts this belief. And he does it with a vision. And so you see a, a sheet from heaven come down. And on that sheet, you see four-legged animals, reptiles, and birds. Now, this doesn't feel sometimes like it resonates, but I need you to know that these animals, according to Peter's understanding of scripture, understanding of God, were not clean. They were impure just by them being born, just by them existing, just by their very nature. And to be next to or to touch or to eat these animals would be to become impure and unclean himself. And so Jesus says, eat. And what does Peter says? Surely not, Lord. <laughs> also, doesn't that just sound sketchy? I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. That, that sounded like me in like sophomore year of college and where I was like, I have never seen two guys make out over video. No, never, ever, ever did I replay all those Smallville scenes. Anyway, so Peter responds with a no. Jesus says something and Peter says no and it says it happens three times. Do you remember another time that Jesus had to do something three times with Peter? Peter denied Jesus three times, and Peter denied his faith three times again here because by excluding you, he was rejecting the creator. It, the theology here is not simply that you are clean, but that you are made clean, that you are born clean, that you by your very nature are good and whole, and that we are not allowed to call that which God made clean impure. Amen? And so here, we don't simply just have maybe God's not anti-gay. No, no, no. Here we have the blueprint for inclusion. You need to understand that inclusion is not a conversation that we've been having for the last 30, 50, 100 years. Inclusion has been at the center of the conversation the church has been having since day one. Inclusion is the fight in Romans, in 1 Corinthians. Inclusion is the conversation in Galatians and Ephesians. Your inclusion matters to God. So much so that he brought elephants from heaven to let you know that God has made nothing unclean. God has made nothing impure, which also answers the question we are all having this morning. Do animals go to heaven? The answer, biblically, I have no idea. Um, so here's, here's how I want to end. Um, it's not enough to deconstruct passages that are used against your humanity. It's not enough. When I was having those conversations about three choices, I felt like heaven and hell were on the line. I felt like my belovedness was on the line. Can I tell you, based on what I've learned now, my belovedness was never on the line. Never, ever, ever. When we talk about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the the sandals of the gospel, right? These are all complicated ways of saying don't go to battle without your belovedness. Don't go to battle without an understanding of your salvation, of your rightness with God and others, of your identity as a loved child of God. Peter was wrong. 
And right now there are churches and there are Christians who are calling people who God made clean impure. And as a representative of Jesus, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I'm deeply sorry that we would ever exclude you from the love and the family of God. But I also want you to know that we don't have to give up the Bible. We don't have to give up our faith. We don't have to give up the concept of God to people who claim to have a monopoly over it. And so I'll close with this. I want you to stretch out your hands before you. I want you to receive a blessing. I want you to receive this blessing. Close your eyes. Receive this blessing. I want you to know that the God of Hagar and Sarah, that the God of Rebekah and Rachel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Moses and Mary, the God who freed the Israelites from the oppression of of Egypt, the God who made a way where there wasn't a way, the God who healed the sick and loved the marginalized, the God who stood up for the lowly, the God of Paul, yes, Paul, the God of Peter and John and James, the God of Mary, that God, my God, she takes pride in you. Amen.